you. And, um, and here's the other thing. It's not a Christian concert, so if you're not bringing someone that doesn't know Jesus, please don't come, because we need all the seats we can get for those that, that do need to know Jesus. So we want to make sure that uh, if we go, we're bringing our, our neighbors, our friends, our family that need Jesus. So, um, hey, I love David Crowder and Skillet and everybody as much as the next person, but I got I to gotta bring people to the event. So make sure you're doing, uh, doing that. But again, pray about who uh, can go, unless you're a counselor and then they need you, so <laughs> go, go. But, um, but uh, definitely uh, pray about to that. That's coming up in a few weeks. I'm just excited about what God's doing this fall. I'm telling you, Wednesday night here in Mount Prospect, Thursday night out west when we uh, were in Lake in the Hills when we had a prayer meeting, it was good. It was just good to be in the presence of the Lord with people that are hungry for God. And as a pastor, obviously, I'm excited about what God's doing and about the fall and believe that God has something for us. But just to get together with, you know, by the time you had all the nights together, you know, 50, some more than that probably now, people that said, I'm going to pray and I'm going to believe God and we're just going to cry out. And it was just a good time. So God is doing something great this fall. You can look in the bulletin and, and see what you can, where you can be involved with or the newsletter. I want you to see where you can find a place in there that you can come and be a part of. But the thing I want us to do this fall at our church is to make God a priority in our life, saying, God, you're number one. God, uh, I belong to you, and I work for you. I live for you. I'm, I'm going to invite someone to church. I'm going to invite someone to the crusade. I'm going to, I'm going to share the gospel. I'm going to live the gospel. I'm going to believe the gospel, and God's going to do great things in our life. And this, um, this Wednesday night, as we focus on marriage, uh, our marriage relationships should be the most nourishing relationships that we have in life. And what we're going to do, yeah, I heard Snickers out there. That's not good, but it should be the most nourishing relationship that we have. Um, but uh, we're going to learn how to do that better. And it uh, doesn't matter where you're on the continuum. Things are good, things are bad. You're just married or been very married. Wherever you fit, I want you to come because uh, we're going to learn how to have Christ-centered marriages as well as how to nourish each other the way God intended marriage to be. We're in a series called Be Strong. If you feel stronger after the last couple of weeks, you've got to be strong in the Lord. It's the command of Scripture. Old Testament and New Testament, even in the most difficult times, God would come down and say, I want you to be strong. And we immediately go, I don't feel very strong in the world that we live in, in the life situation. I find myself, I don't feel very strong. And God knows how weak we really are and how inadequate we are, but like we've been saying, he is invincible. He's God. And so he says, I want you to be strong in me. Ephesians 6.10 says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. I love that. God doesn't say, be strong in your own strength. Let's see how you're doing. He says, be strong in me. Be strong in my power. Philippians 4.13, Paul says it this way, I can do anything and everything through him who gives me strength. I can do all things. God is the one giving me strength. He's the one I'm working in. And God's plan for you is not one of destruction. That's the devil's plan for your life. God doesn't want to see you destroyed. God doesn't even want to see you just exist. God says, I want to see you thrive. I want to bless. And, and I want to see things in your life grow and, and just increase throughout your life until we're in heaven. I want to see you grow. And so God says, I'm going to work on you and I'm going to do some things in your life. And the things that he's doing aren't temporary things, they're eternal things. And so sometimes we go through a, a rough patch and we're like, God, where are you? And God's not interested in making you happy for the next week. 
He's interested in getting you ready for eternity with Him. And so what we have to do is, God, whatever you're saying, whatever you say, I'm going to go because you're going to make me strong through whatever I face. And we started in Ephesians chapter 6, the armor of God, the protection that He gives us, head to toe, that when the enemy, that unseen enemy, comes against us, we are ready for battle. We can take anything, any fiery dart He shoots our way, we can stand against that. But not only do we just have protection, we have the offensive weapon of His Word, that rainbow Word that God gives that we have the Word of God that takes us into battle. Last week we talked about Joshua, who was in a very difficult situation. situation that none of us would want to be in, but uh, God said to him, Be strong. Be strong. Be strong and very courageous. Three times, right as the book opens up, he says, I want you to be strong and courageous. And, and he told him, and just to, to reiterate, that we need to stand on the promises of God. Sense God's nearness, His presence in our life. Stay on the path and be obedient to God and then start the process. Whatever He tells you to do, just go and do it. And you can listen to those sermons online or you can get the CD out in the lobby afterwards. But we need to get the Word inside of our life that He wants us to be strong. And so tonight I want to talk about this. So we need to be strong together. We need to be strong together. Uh, my family likes to watch America's Funniest Videos. I don't know if you guys ever watched that or not. There's just a, something about having little boys and people doing silly stuff on cameras and hurting themselves. It's just, it's, it's just a bunch of laughs in our home. So, and then they want to go and try those things. But, um, but there's one that won an award one night, and we watched the movies a couple weeks ago, I remember. But um, the boys had watched a very scary movie. And, um, and they got in bed together, covers over them, falling asleep together in bed together. And the dad thought it would be funny to wake them up with a chainsaw and a mask on. And, um, and so, you know, and the kids jump out of bed, covers go flying, things are flying all around and, and screaming and yelling. And, and it won, it won the, it was the, it was the best video of the night. It won, uh, won the award. And, uh, and I thought about that and, what is it about a, a scary movie, and I, I personally don't like scary movies, but what is it about a scary movie that, that it's nice to have somebody next to you while you're watching it? Or like little brothers, you know, they're getting in bed together under the covers because they're scared. They're, like, like, like their little brother's going to protect them from somebody with a chainsaw. But there's something about being together that makes us feel safe. There's something about being in, in, a, in a home where you feel safe or together with other people where you feel safe. And it starts young, but it works when we're older, too. There's something that when we're together, we feel stronger. We, are, we have more boldness in our life. It's just something that's natural that God designed us with, that when we're together, we're strong. That's why that marriage relationship is so important to make that investment in, because you're going to be stronger together. Rather than living separate lives in the same house, you'll be stronger together, right? did my dissertation for my doctorate on the elements of teamwork, and, and there's just no comparison. No matter how gifted an individual is, when you are teamed up with other people, you're just stronger. There's some problems that come along. Yeah, there's going to be some problems we have to solve, but when you're together with other people working together, you're just stronger. You're just stronger, and, and that's how God designed the world, that we're stronger when we're together. Yeah, we have this phenomenon in America especially, and it starts in the preteen years, and it goes through adulthood, this obsession with achieving independence. It begins very young. I, I want to be independent. We, so, so we start breaking away, and, 
and, and it goes on, and it's this deep-rooted individualism, which in some ways is really good as, as we make our way through this world, but what happens is we, we want to do everything ourselves, and so we start looking for any kind of security we can find, and, and so that we can be kind of on this independence island, if you will, and say, okay, I'm going to get financial security. I'm going to get, I'm going to get all this. I'm going to get my house paid off. I'm going to get everything. I'm just going to be, I'm going to be safe. I'm going to be secure. I'm going to hopefully be independently wealthy. I, I'm not going to have to depend on anybody. I don't need your help. Thank you very much. I'll do it myself. And we build this life, and very few of us ever get to that point, but we work for this life where we can be independent. And, and there's a term in psychology. It's becoming more popular. It's called functional isolation functional isolation, that I can isolate myself from everybody and, and everything, and, and I can still survive. And in the computer world, it's becoming easier to do, but we're no longer dependent. We're independent. We're self-sufficient, and, and that's what we work for in this life. So there's this like tension. We're stronger together, but we work our whole life to be self-sufficient. And um, that's not a good thing necessarily. There was a, a missionary that was that was a missionary to Africa. She was in my classes in Oxford. She was telling the story. I found it very interesting because she was trying to connect with the people of the nation in Africa she was with, and, and there was just this wall up. And um, and so she just talked to the most trusted person she knew, and she said, "What what is it that that we're just not connecting? Or I'm not connecting with the people of the village. What what's wrong?" And, and, the, um, and the African said, you don't need us. And she says, well, what do you mean? She goes, and he went on to tell a story. He goes, when you need to start a fire, um, you go to the store and you buy a box of matches. She goes, well, what's wrong with that? She goes, when I go to the store, I go and I buy one match. And when I only have one match, I, I might need my neighbor's match or a friend's match or... Where you, you're never going to need a match from me. And it's not just about matches, it's about everything in life. I want to get enough so I don't need anyone else in my life. I want to get enough so I have every, so I, I'm, I'm good. I'm just going to sound people, if they could turn down channel one, because I'm hearing a lot of bleed through from the wireless mic, so if you could turn that down. But um, what, what happens though in our life that's so important is, and it's kind of sad, is that when we live these lives of isolation, all of a sudden, we have to carry everything ourselves. Every major decision, every problem, every temptation. If you want to be self-sufficient and you want to live on your own, you're going to have to kind of bear the weight of this life all by yourself. And, and that's really not what God intended. It's a quote from a counselor um, that I recently read. It says, there is something tragic that precious people have to pay large sums of money to talk to, total stranger, to a total stranger about the intimate secret of their life. It's sad that we have to go and talk to somebody we don't even know and pay a lot of money to that person because I don't have anybody else to talk to. Now, I believe in counseling. I, I really do believe in Christian counseling. And, and sometimes we need to do work and get help for problems we have in life. So I, I'm, a, I'm a strong proponent of that. So I'm, I'm not downplaying that. But there's a lot of things, as I talk to Christian counselors, that they say these things could be shared in a small group. And what's sad is a lot of times when they talk about the big intimate secrets in their life, the people that are closest to the people sharing it with the counselor haven't shared it with anybody else in this world. They haven't shared it with the people that they're closest to. 
There's this isolation that I can't share with you, and especially in the church it's difficult because there are high moral standards. You know, there are those things in Scripture that are right and wrong, and so we don't want to talk about the things maybe that we struggle with because I don't want, to know any, I don't want anybody to know that I struggle with it, but guess what? We all struggle with it. You know, we're all in, we're all in accountability. I'm in an accountability group with guys in this church. I mean, we, we talk, and, and I, I want to tell you that, that, that we need to share and open up our lives to each other because we're not meant to be completely alone and independent. God has a completely different plan. God has a plan in His kingdom called the church, and we are a family. We are the family of God. And Christ is building His church, and He's building His family, and, and, and there's no such thing in Scripture as an independent follower of God. You can't find anywhere in the New Testament where it says it's okay just to be a Christian all by yourself. No, it's always important that we're together in each other's lives. The Old Testament has 10 commandments, but the New Testament, as you'll read in the Bible blog, has 60 commandments. These are commandments where we, where we, we love one another and we, we share with one another. And you can read about all the one another's in the New Testament, but we're not meant to do life independently. We are meant to do it together with one another. So this idea of a private life or an independent way in, of Jesus, it, it just doesn't exist. He calls us to live life together. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of the great theologians of the last century, says, Jesus always comes to us with his family. And that's why as a church, our, our second mission as a church is to connect people to people. Because after you're connected with God, the most important relationship in your life, you're not meant to be a Christian all by yourself. You need other people in your life. And so we need these, these relationships. We don't need to be independent. We need to have invasive relationships in our life that are characterized by humility and honesty and accountability. This idea that we need to submit to one another is so important that, that we live that life. And in doing that, we become stronger disciples because we are in communion with other people. And so tonight, instead of looking at a passage of Scripture, I'm going to look at several passages of Scripture, but I'm going to, I'm going to key on one word in the New Testament. And that word is um, koinonia. Koinonia. And I want to look at this word and how it's used in the New Testament, because this is, this is Paul's favorite word when he talks about the church. But it's also a very important word for your life, because you are not going to be strong when you're all by yourself. Okay? You're going to need this koinonia in your marriage relationship, in your relationship with God, and the relationship with the people in this church. And so koinonia is most often translated in the New Testament as fellowship. Fellowship. Now, the problem with the word fellowship is it's probably the most misunderstood word in the New Testament. And when we think of fellowship, I just wrote some things down here. You know, we think of uh, eating together. You know, we have a we have fellowship potluck, or um, it's the time in the service when we shake each other's hands. That's fellowship, or it's an event that we do. You know, we have a some type of fellowship at church, or it's just standing in the lobby shooting the breeze with somebody and just talking about the Bears game tomorrow. That's, that's fellowship. But that's just one form of fellowship. And it's really a much deeper word. Koinonia is translated in various different ways. And I'm just going to write a few of them on the board here for you so that you can write them down. But it's also translated participation. Participation. 
It's translated sharing, partnership, community, and communion. That our life together as believers is characterized by koinonia. And what's important about koinonia that you need to get tonight is that koinonia is not just this with us, but it's also with God. This is really important. And that it's the connection that you and I have together, but it's not just you and me, it's us and Him. So it's kind of a, you want to think of a circle, and so this koinonia is God and us, back and forth, and then us together. So that's what koinonia means, and that's what Paul likes to use when he talks about the family of God. I want to read some verses here, but I want us to think about this sharing our lives together, participating in life together, and I'm going to share in the same salvation that you have, that God is is going to be there, that we're going to maybe even share some of our worldly goods together. We're going to give in order missionaries will be supported and our church will go forward. All these things we share together, we partner together, we live in community and we, we commune together. We share fellowship in the Holy Spirit together. And this idea of fellowship, participation, sharing, partnership, community, uh, and communion, as you read through the New Testament, what you're going to notice more and more is this idea of fellowship is so much more than just shaking a hand. It's so much more than just, hey, how are you doing? You know, it's so much more that we are together in this because together we are stronger. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 is the first time that it pops up. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They were living their life together as the church was birthed in Acts chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, it says, So... If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation, that word participation there is the word koinonia, in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being full accord of one mind. Now what you're going to notice in this passage is that he's going to go on to talk about how not to treat one another if you continue on in your Bible study. But he says what you need to do is live in this fellowship, to live in this partnership, this, this sharing relationship, and, and, and again, to live in that in one accord. A beautiful picture of the church. Philemon, verse 6, says, I pray that the sharing of your faith, the koinonia of your faith, may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing in us, that is in us for the sake of Christ. That we're growing in God together, we're participating, we're partners in this relationship with God, and that we're growing. That we are doing life together, participating together, sharing in common. This idea of relationship and experiencing life together and experiencing God together. There's something powerful about this that I want to move on to in just a moment. But before I get to how good this can be, we also know that sometimes when we link our lives with other people, there are hardships that come along as well because we're tainted by sin. There's that sinful influence in our life, and so we can get into a relationship with another believer or even our spouse, and there can be misunderstandings and hurt feelings. And and we can get to the point like we're like, I just, I don't know, I just... I kind of just wish it was just God in me. 
because I don't really like everybody else around right now, because there's something that happens once in a while. You, you get hurt, and, um, and that happens. That happens in these human relationships. And so you say, well, okay, why not just be God in me? I mean, God is all I need, right? I mean, that's what the Bible says. I only need God. Yes, but here's the point is that the Holy Spirit says, and this is what you have to read when you look through the New Testament, and if you keep reading even the passage that we read here, is, is the Holy Spirit says, I want to do something in your life. And I'm going to employ other people with you in this. And there's going to be some things that they can do in your life that you can't do on your own. And, and what I mean by that is that the Holy Spirit wants to work on us, and and if I'm preaching on something, I'm not talking about tonight, but maybe another time, I'm preaching on something, and you really don't want to hear it, you can tune me out. You can. You can start reading your bulletin or thinking about what you're doing after service, or you can just tune me out. If you don't want to listen to me anymore, I don't have to listen to Pastor Daryl anymore. Or you're reading a book, and the book's, you know, the, the Holy Spirit's trying to speak something. If you don't want to hear it, you can close that book. You can open it to the part you want and close the part you don't want. Or you're, you're listening to that CD, or you're listening online, and, 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 and again, you're in control. I'm in control with my relationship with God, but when there's other people in your life, you're not in control. Because you can't just tune them out in a small group. You can't just tell them to be quiet. You, they're not going to let you ignore what the Spirit is saying to you at that moment. And you, you can't shut them down like you can shut other things down when you're in control. And so God says, I want to use other people in your life. And, and what happens is that we get in these relationships and sometimes we feel stuck in these relationships because you're stuck with me as your pastor, you know. I'm back, so sorry. You're right. and, and, and I'm stuck with you. It's a church, you know, it's like, I'm so, you know, and I think of the Huey Lewis song in the 80s, happy to be stuck with you because you know what's great about being stuck together? is we're going to live life together. And sometimes it's going to get messy, and sometimes we're going to hurt your feelings, or you're going to hurt my feelings, but you know what the reality is? Is I'm not going to let you go and do your own thing. I mean, it's the same thing as somebody just says, you know what, I don't want to be a part of the church anymore, I'm leaving. It's like, you know what, I know you want to leave, but I'm going to keep calling you until I know you're a part of another flock, because I believe that God just wants to do something in your life. You can run and run and run, but I just want to tell you, we're believing God and praying for you, and if you need to find another place, find another place, but, but, but you know what, you're not supposed to be all alone. You're not supposed to be all alone. And so we, we've got to get in other people's lives this way, because we're stronger when we're together. And the other thing is here, and I just want to share this, and I I don't know if I would share it, but I'm going to. And that's this, is that God puts divine relationships in our path. Because I have never heard a testimony that didn't involve somebody having someone come alongside them. And, and, and maybe they even became a Christian on their own, but some, maybe somebody came alongside them and discipled them. And there was somebody in their life that was influential. I mean, it could be somebody like a pastor, but usually it's another individual that came alongside them. There was some type of divine relationship in their life. And I think of Leslie, because I, I mean, I grew up in church, so I have a lot of those divine relationships that, that have spoken in my life. But Leslie got saved a little later in life, and, and so when she got saved, she had a friend named Sarah that took her under her wing and even had her move in with her, and she taught her about the things of God and, and what it meant to be a Christian. And and, and Leslie is who she is today because Sarah came and took her under her wing and, and, and discipled her. And, and it's a beautiful relationship that exists to this day. And you know what's great about divine relationships is they go both ways. 
is that now, you know, Leslie ministers back to her, but not just to her, but to other people. And God puts these relationships in our life. You're not a Christian all by yourself. There are people in your lives, divinely in your life, maybe even a person that's in church with you right now, or, or somebody that's coming to your mind, there are divine relationships in our life that are a part of our testimony. And we need to foster those type of relationships together. So how do we do this? And this is where I want to get really practical with you guys tonight. And, and if you haven't taken any notes, get your, get your sermon notes out and write some things down. Because I want to talk to you about how we practice fellowship. How, you know, We could talk and I could break down the Greek and we could talk more about this, but I don't want to do this. We gave you some verses. You can look this up on your own. You can study it. But practically, how do we do this? How do we practice Fellowship. How do we practice koinonia? The first thing we can do is that we can worship God together. We can worship God together. What I mean by that is we were created for worship, all of us. And we can worship God in a variety of different ways. But there's something powerful when we all come together to worship him together. When it's not just me singing how great is our God. But then all of a sudden I hear somebody next to me singing, how great is our God. And when we're all fulfilling our call, worshiping our great God, there's something powerful about that. There's going to be something powerful in, in, the, in the Allstate Arena when, when the worship goes up and everyone is singing because when we come together, that's like the ultimate koinonia as we worship God. And so what we need to do, and, and I, I want you to practice this, because I was on the phone with somebody today, earlier today, we were talking about some things, and, and, when, and I, know, I can't tell you what happened in my spirit, but when they said, hey, Pastor Darrell, great talking to you. I'll see you in church tomorrow. There was something in my heart, and I mean, I knew they were coming tomorrow, but there was something in my heart. It's like, I'm going to see them tomorrow in church, and we're going to carry on this conversation again, and we're going to pick it up where we left off, that we're going to worship God together. And, and there's something powerful about that. So maybe we need to say, hey, are you coming to church? Can you want to sit together? Because there's something powerful when we worship God together. You can worship God on your own, but there's something powerful when we come together for worship. So that's the first thing we can do to practice. But the next thing is we can pray for one another. Pray for one another. Powerful time of prayer this Wednesday and Thursday that we've had. I mean, powerful time. And, and prayer, when you pray with somebody, that's about as close as you can get in koinonia. Because you're together and you're, you're agreeing in faith. And it's not just you talking. You're talking to God. There's something powerful. That's why it is so important for couples to pray together. There's something powerful about that experience, praying, and, and, and the koinonia that happens. And so we need to say, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray with other people. I'm not, we can pray by ourselves, and that's a good thing to do, praying by yourself. There's something powerful about coming together with other believers and praying. And here's something very easy to do. You can ask somebody, can I pray for you? Because we talk about everything, don't we? You know, after church, we'll stay in the lobby and, and shoot the breeze and stuff. But what if we stopped and said, you know what, can I pray with you before you go? And there's something powerful that happens at that moment. And it's important because we can say, hey, I'll be praying for you. But what if we said, can I pray for you right now? Can we just grab hands? Let's just pray about this right now. Or if they're uncomfortable with that. Can we pray with you right now? And, and as a pastor, I've, I've prayed with people that just, they don't know God. I've never had anybody say, no, I'd rather that you didn't. Never. And, and so that idea of just, hey, can I pray for you right now? Koinonia is happening, especially with brothers and sisters in Christ. And what happened on Wednesday and Thursday, there's something powerful when we just, somebody lifts up their voice and everybody gathers around in faith and says, yes, yes, God. So praying together is important. Sharing with one another is important. Sharing with one another. 
God's given us spiritual gifts to use for Him. And I don't know what your gift is, but we're to use our gifts together. So whatever God's blessed you with, you need to be using that for Him and using that for other people and sharing experiences with other people and doing things together. That idea of sharing with one another, there's something powerful too. I mean, it's good that you know we give, but there's something powerful when we all give together and we see our gifts become well over $100,000 a year to missions or, or whatever it is that God is doing. When we give together, something happens. It's, it's something great when we share together. And, and we need to be more open in, in sharing with, with another person. And, and I think one of the most powerful things about sharing or, or ways to share together is when someone would kind of open their journal to you, if, they, if you will. And, and we've had that happen where uh, we've had somebody come and share from the pulpit maybe a testimony, and they'll, they'll say, let me read a, a portion of my journal from the day I was going through this. And there's something so intimate about that, isn't there? When you just open that journal, and you've kind of just been allowed into their life, into the most private part of their life. And I'm not just talking about the, you know, just up here and, and that, but but maybe in a small group, when you just become open, or to a friend, you just kind of open up. And, and, because what you're doing is, by opening up, you're sharing the experience. And, and, and then koinonia begins to happen. And, and it's not something, because it's, it's a very intimate moment. It's not like when they share that, okay, that's going to become the town gossip. No, you let me into your life. This is precious and tender and important. And something is happening. And we get stronger together as we share our experiences. Another thing that we can do practically is carry one another's burdens. It says in Galatians 6.2 that that's what we're supposed to do, to carry one another's burdens. But the problem is, is a lot of times we don't share what our burdens are with anybody else. We want to carry them all alone. And what we have to do is we have to responsibly share our burdens, become vulnerable with people and allow them to help you carry your burdens. Because to be honest with you, we are stronger when we're together. We're stronger when there's koinonia in our life. We weren't meant to carry it all by ourselves. We need other people carrying it with us. We need to confess to one another. James 5.16 talks about confessing our sins. And I'm not talking about standing up in the pulpit and I just bring a mic up here and then we all come up and we confess our sins. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about confessing our sins to those that are in our accountability group or those that are close to us. Because confession is a very important part of conquering that sin in your life. Because when it's kept secret, it will destroy you. We have to confess, and, and when we confess, it's like, it's like shining the light in darkness. It's not dark anymore. The, it loses its power. When I speak it out, all of a sudden it's not, you know, when I, when I say, you know, I, I felt like doing this, and, and, and all of a sudden it's just, boom, it's out there. And you've exposed the darkness, and it's part of conquering sin in our life. And if we don't confess to one another in a koinonia relationship, then we're going to struggle with it and carry it ourselves. We're also called to serve one another. Serve one another. We need to, to find the needs that are out there. And when we find a need, we need to fill the need. And there's so many practical ways to do that in the world in which we live. And you can look in your neighborhood, at your schools, you can look for anything, but you can also look inside the church and say, how can I serve the body of Christ? How can I give my gifts, my talents 
Maybe I could work in the nursery for a, a Sunday or a Saturday and, and let somebody else come to church. Let a mom come to church. Or maybe I could, maybe I could help with ushering or maybe I could help with, uh, with a work day or, or, or bringing somebody to a crusade or whatever. We can, we can share the burden together and serve one another. What's good about serving one another is that we are fully focused on other people. And we're also fulfilling our call because we were meant to serve. We weren't meant to be served. We were meant to serve. To be a, just an example, just like Jesus was, as he came to serve us. And, and so it's a way of submitting ourselves to one another. And it's, a, it's actually a beautiful part of koinonia, sharing together and serving one another. It's a practical thing. And when, when we just look at this list and we say, okay, well, I need to do this and I need to do that, I want to let you know these are means to an end. Just because you're doing these things doesn't mean you've got the koinonia working in your life. But these things allow the Holy Spirit to work inside of you. And by His grace, this begins to happen. And we partake with one another and we partake with God. And there's this beautiful fellowship that takes place in our lives and with God. And I don't want to forfeit my fellowship. I don't want to forfeit my koinonia. I want to, I want to be involved. So I'm not just going to do something so I have it. I'm going to do something so that the Holy Spirit can do something in me. And, and I just, I've been thinking a lot about this. This came to me while I was on sabbatical, but, but I, I think a lot of us live in this Bluetooth Christianity. And um, I brought my Bluetooth headset for my phone, and, and uh, I know this is old-fashioned because like, they're supposed to hook up to cars now, but I don't have a new car. So, um, so I have this when I drive in the city, and, and um, my, my mouse is Bluetooth to my computer, and what's beautiful about it is I don't have to touch my phone, and there's no cord going from my mouse to my computer. It's, it's a beautiful thing. But what we're seeing in, in our families, and what we're seeing in the church, is this Bluetooth connection. And what it means is that, yeah, we're connected, no doubt about it. I come, I give, I do this, I do that. But this never touches my phone. My mouse never touches me. It's never connected that way. And, and a lot of times, our lives don't touch each other's lives. We're connected, yeah. Well, yeah, we're connected. I'm a part of Christian Life Church, but our lives never touch any other life in church. We never intersect. We never come in contact. We're never tethered to someone else. We're never stuck in a relationship. And it's clean and it's nice and we never get hurt, but we're also carrying it all alone. And God did not mean for us to be Bluetooth Christians. He wants us to be linked together. I use this illustration a lot, so you've probably heard it before, but let me close with this, because I think this is one of my favorite illustrations about being together. I don't know if you guys ever watch like, um, public television and those nature shows and stuff, but I, the, it's always uh, the lions you know, hunting the zebras you know, in Africa. Just that, that's one of my favorite pictures. Just that. And, and you, know, you know what's going to happen, and you just can't wait. It's like, just fast forward. Let's, let, let's, let's see the carnage. You know, that, and that's just, that's just me. But you're just like... You, you just in there hunting and hunting, and they're coming up in this little group of lions, and there's a huge group of zebras there, and, and they're they're in the bushes, and then the time comes when they pounce and they run after, and the zebras are a lot faster, and so they start going and zigging and zagging, and they weren't catching them, but there's that critical moment when one zebra zigs instead of zagging, and it's all by itself. Hello, hello. There we go. It zigs and oh, hello. Is that working? Everyone. Hello. 
No, it's not working.